0: We are in a series that we have called Lies We Believe. Lies We Believe. You know, things happen in your life, and the way that you interpret those things determines whether or not you're a bitter person or a better person, Your beliefs really do make a difference and so we are hoping in this series we're going to expose some of the lies about yourself, some of the lies about life, some of the lies about your future. And today we're going to look at lies about God. Why? Because the way you see God really affects the way that you see yourself, after all, The Bible says that you were made in God's image, which means you have the potential of becoming like him. And if you have a warped image of God, you are going to develop a warped image of yourself. So the question is, what is God really like? Well, Jesus came along. And he exploded all of the lies and all of the misconceptions, all of the stereotypes that they had about God. Because up to that point in history, people believed that God was someone who was distant or God was someone who was aloof. Maybe God was someone who was all-powerful, but he certainly wasn't good. He was not close. He was not personal. But then, Jesus comes along And Jesus taught that the number one way to think about God is to think of God like a, anybody know? Like a father. In fact, he used the term father over 150 times in the four gospels. Did you know that? He says at one point, you can call God Abba, which translated into English means daddy. You talk about a a blown-up conception of God. They never could have conceived that they could have such a relationship with God himself that they could say, you're my daddy. He says, God is your heavenly father. God is your father in heaven. Now, here is the problem with that today. Today we've done such a poor job being fathers. In fact, when I say that, for many people, father brings up all kinds of Painful memories, someone in your life who was aloof, maybe, or distant, or uncaring, or unconcerned. We have a fathering problem in America today. Do you know that? We've had it for a long time. Maybe you had a father who wasn't there when you needed him, and so the question becomes, what kind of father is God then? What is God really like? See, I point this out because I have people that come to me and they say things like, well, Shane, I don't believe in God. And whenever I hear things like, I don't believe in God, I I just want to ask, well, I just want to say, well, please describe the God that you don't believe in. And when they usually describe the God they don't believe in, I tell them, you know, I don't believe in that God either. Because you've got some misconceptions about who God is. Specifically, there are four lies about God that I'm going to deal with today, and I'm going to have you write these down as we go. You don't need to rush to write them right now. You'll get them down, don't worry. You neurotic people, they're going to blink because I'm going to talk too fast right now. Just relax. But I'm going to deal with four lies. Lie number one is that God is unreasonable. Of course, I mentioned that in the title of your message today. Lie number two is that God is unreliable. Again, you don't have to speed right yet. Number three, God is not concerned about me. And number four, God is unpleasable. So today, we're not dealing with one lie. We're dealing with four. And as you leave, you'll get a set of Ginzu knives also as a part of this. Now, listen. If you buy into any of these lies, it's going to rob you of happiness. And God doesn't want you robbed. I'm not saying that God's priority is your happiness. But you can be happy (laughs) if you have the right conception about God. So, today, let's look at each one and apply the truth. First, write this down. The first lie, number one, again, I said, is God is what? Now, this lie, even believers, Christ followers, fall into it. It goes like this God places so many demands on my life, there's no way I could possibly live up to God's standard. God's too strict, He's unreasonable, He's unrealistic. All God wants me to be is good, and he wants me to be kind of a boring person. Anybody ever feel that way? God doesn't want me to have any fun. God is like some Puritan grandfather. God's a sourpuss. He sits up in heaven with a scowl on his face. He looks down on us, waiting for somebody to have fun so that he could zap them. Anybody ever feel that way? So that God can say, stop that. Now listen to me. That is not a new lie. In fact, the first recorded words of the devil were this lie. Let me set the stage for you. I want to remind you. Are you ready? Here we go. When God created the Garden of Eden, it was a perfect paradise. It was a perfect environment filled with every possible thing of pleasure. And God looked at Adam and Eve and he said, here I put you in this paradise and you can do anything you want in the garden, this is all for you. Listen, total pleasure, total delight. He says, anything you want to do. And he says to him, you can eat anything, you can do anything. There's just one thing I don't want you to do. Listen, you man. There is one tree out of thousands in this garden, and I don't want you to eat from that one. By the way, is that unreasonable? No. 90% of the garden. I mean, he's saying 99% of the garden is yours. It wasn't off limits. He said you can do anything you want. What did he do? He did the minimum. He said to man, there is only one way to sin in this garden. Now, I know people ask, especially skeptics, well, why did he even create one way? Why did he put that that tree in there, that dang tree? Well, even that was a gift because he wanted to provide man with the gift of choice. That's a gift. Listen, God doesn't want you to love him because you have to love him. God wants you to get to choose to love him. Not because you have no other choice. If you're denied the freedom of choice, you lose a part of your humanity and what it means to be a human. To love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, strength, and your will, I choose it. Now, it's human nature, isn't it, though? That, you know, when we don't have that one thing, what do we want? We want that one thing, so what do we do? We head for that. So, for example, I've got three chairs up here. Let me ask you, which one am I going to touch? Which one? Of course you know which one I'm going to touch. I have not noticed either of these two. But the moment somebody tells me I can't touch this, what do I want to do? This is what we're like. This is what human beings are like. Now, notice what God says. This is interesting. He says, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then Satan comes along a little while later in chapter 3, and look at what he says. This is interesting. He says, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Now, do you see what he's done? This is unbelievable. He just lied. I don't know if you caught it. He just switched the truth for a lie because he reversed it. Now you catch the shift. God said there's only one tree I don't want you to eat. Satan comes back and whispers, has God really said that you can't eat from any of the trees? See, he's turned it around. What's he trying to do? He's trying to make God appear what? Unreasonable. What is he saying? What's the lie here? Listen, it's a common lie. It's common in our country today. Here it is. God has put you in paradise, God gave you these desires, and God won't let you have what you desire. God's a sadist. Now listen, friend, that is an old lie. It's nothing new. How many of you here are parents? Come on, give me a show of hands. If you're online, just type in, I'm a parent, send it to somebody. You ever had a child and you said something like this to your children? You said, listen, I want you, you can ride your bike, but I want you to wear your helmet every time you ride your bike. It's for your protection. You ever say that? Or you've got a teenager and you say to your teenager, now, I want you to have a great time, but I want you to be back at 11 o'clock. Now, inevitably, your child always says something to you like, you never let me have any fun. Have you heard that line? <laughs> now, have you said to your child, Honey, I don't want you to have any fun. <laughs> no, of course you haven't. Have you said to your child, I've put the whole world off limits to you? No, what have you done? You've created a boundary for your child. You've said, here's the limitation. Now, I want to ask you parents, is it unreasonable that you would put limitations on your children? Come on. No. No. And they say, it's unreasonable, mom and dad, for you to put any restriction on me. There should be no restrictions on my life. And I ask, now who's being unreasonable? But you treat God the same way. We say we should have no limitations on us. Now, let's talk about the truth. God is not... Unreasonable. And every time that Satan tries to whisper into your ear, God's unreasonable. His expectations are too high. You need to replace that that lie with a truth. And you need to say, No, God is not unreasonable. Get behind me, Satan. Go away. And then here's the truth. Write this down God is a compassionate father. That's the truth. God is a what? Now, that means that God is motivated by love. Listen, everything that God does is motivated by love. Even when God says no. Notice Psalm 145 verse 9, it says, He is good to everyone, and his compassion is intertwined with everything he does. Would you do me a favor and circle the word intertwined? Because what he's saying is, He's saying, even when I tell you no, I know what's best for you. I'm kind, I'm generous. It says in Lamentations, his compassion never ends. It is only the Lord's mercies that have kept us from complete destruction. Now, when I was 18 years old, I used to go to England Uh, between 18 and 22 I'd go every year once or twice a year to do mission work we could do public school assemblies in their high schools because they had what was called religious education so I could actually go and preach the gospel legally in the school system even England has it better than America isn't that amazing? Now, I couldn't actually lead him in an altar call, or I couldn't lead him to Jesus, but I could invite him to church after I shared what Christianity was all about. So we would do that, and we'd hold events at night. And I'll never forget, I used to do these public school assemblies where I used to lay out three chairs just like this, and one of them had do not touch this on it, except we would put on it sin, do not touch this. And we'd do a little drama that sort of goes like this. You see what's happening here and we would lead these kids in England through this drama to tell them listen when God says don't touch something it's out of love for you he creates a boundary because he loves you because now you're stuck how many of you have been stuck how many of you know exactly what it is to be stuck on this something in your life some addiction some challenge some relationship God says don't you see God says, I want you to enjoy the gifts that I give you, but I don't want you to abuse them. I don't want you to misuse them because you could get hurt. Let me ask you a question. Practical illustration, ready? Is water a gift from God, yes or no? Sure it is. Your body is 98% water. You can't live without water. But can you drown in water if you misuse it? Sure. How about fire? Would you say fire is a gift from God? Sure, fire warms, fire illuminates, fire creates coziness, but if you use it wrong, what do you get? You get burned. Let's get a little more personal, you ready? Is food a gift from God? Well, is it? You're like, no, it's of the devil. I never wanna eat food. Of course, it's a a gift from God. Can food be misused? Sure, I have been misusing it. I mean, check that out proud of that guy. Let me ask you this. Is sex a gift from God? (laughs) The guy in the back row just woke up. (laughs) I said the magic word, buddy. Yep, sex. Sex is a gift from God. Can sex be abused? Absolutely. Absolutely. What are you saying to God? Well, there should be no limitations. How many of you have heard this in our society today? It's my body. I should have the freedom to do with my body what I choose. Is that a Christian thought? No. Whose body is it? God's body. Who do you go to to decide how to use your body? God. Can you imagine if everybody, let's just take sex for example. Can you imagine if everybody in the world used sex the way that God intended it? What would our world be like? There would be no rapes. There'd be no abuse. There'd be no infidelity. There'd be no venereal disease. There'd be no AIDS. There'd be no syphilis. There'd be no molestation. There'd be no shame. There'd be no infidelity in marriage. Don't you think humankind would have been a whole lot better if they just would have followed God's advice? Write this down. Anytime God says no to me, it's because he loves me. Write that down. Anytime God says no to me, it's because he loves me. It's not because he's a miser. It's not because he's an ogre or a sourpuss. It's because he cares about you, okay? You ready for lie number two? You're not ready? Okay, I'll leave. I'm I'm out. No. Oh, you're ready. Okay, here we go. Lie number two. God is unreliable. God is unreliable. Now, this one says God can't be trusted. This one says that God is inconsistent. This one says he's fickle or that he changes his mind. And again, this is as old as the Garden of Eden. Let's go back and look at Genesis 3. It says, God says we mustn't eat it or even touch it or we will what? That's a lie, the serpent hissed. You shall not die. God knows very well that in the instant you eat it, you will become like him, for your eyes will be opened. Now, you can understand from this text, there are two phases to temptation. Let me tell you what they are. You can write these down on the side. One phase of temptation is doubt. You see it right here. It's doubt. The other phase of temptation is deception. So, let's just go through it. First, what does he do? He tries to get you to doubt what God has said. He'll do this. Did God really say it's wrong? There's the doubt. Or he whispers this to you. Did God really mean it when he said, has God ever told you something, man or woman, young man, young woman, he's ever told you something, you've known he's spoken clearly to you about a behavior that you're doing, something you need to let go of, and yet a little bit later, it's like it comes into your brain, did he really say that? Was that really God? that ever happened to you? Well, that's what Satan does. He causes you to doubt what you know God has said. Oh, well, Shane, maybe he meant it then, but you've grown. You deserve a break today. Maybe he doesn't mean it now. And what he does is he tries to get you to doubt the truth of God's word. Well, God, you know, he just doesn't know what he's talking about. Or he, God doesn't know your situation you know. And then what does he do after he gets you to doubt? He offers his own lie. It can't hurt anybody. Nobody'll know. Everybody's doing it. Just this once, it's really not a sin. What is he doing? He's offering these lies. What is it? It's doubt, then deception. It's a one-two punch. Watch it in your life. It'll happen. Keep a journal as you're being tempted. He'll cause you to doubt, then he'll deceive you. What's the result? Destruction because you reap what you sow. What's the truth? Write this down. God is a consistent father, He's not only compassionate, but He's consistent. Meaning, God can always be counted on to act the same way towards you. Romans 11:29 29 says it this way. God never changes his mind about the people he calls and the things he gives them. Again, he never changes his what? Mind. Now, some of you here grew up with unpredictable fathers. I'll never forget one time one guy said, I don't know if my dad's going to hug me or slug me. If he's going to accept me or if he's going to reject me. And some of you grew up that way. You grew up with inconsistent parents. They were inconsistent in their attitude towards you. Now here, here's the problem. Inconsistent fathers produce inconsistent and insecure kids. Let me say that again. Inconsistent fathers produce insecure kids. And some of you, You've put that over onto your heavenly father. You're like with God. Here's you with God. You're like one day God loves you and likes you because you feel you're doing good, and the next day God doesn't like you. Let me ask you a question How much time do you want to spend with somebody who's inconsistent in your life? Do you want to spend time with somebody who's inconsistent in your life? You know, one of the reasons why so many of you don't spend any time with God daily is because you see God as inconsistent. You think he 's upset with you. you 're mad at you, so you project that onto God that 's why you don't want to pray. you don 't know if God 's going to like you or not. I'm, I need to say something to you very clearly. First, let me say to you, I understand that mental struggle and that mental deception. I get that. I deal with it myself. But I need to say this to you again very clearly. Listen, God does not get moody. Let me say that again. God does not get moody, He is consistent. Listen to me. God doesn't have bad hair days. God doesn't wake up one morning and have a bad attitude towards you, He's not grumpy toward you some mornings he is always consistent in fact he says for God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn he will never ever go back on his what he is absolutely reliable listen to me friends I read a study once it was years ago I think this is still true it said the number one reason kids rebel against their parents is because of resentment did you know that The number one reason kids rebel against their parents is resentment. Now, do you know what the number one cause of resentment is? Broken promises. Dad, you promised to do this. Mom, you promised to do that. And a broken promise leads to resentment. And resentment leads to rebellion. Well guys, God isn't that kind of a father. Look at what the scripture says. Psalm 59, it says, my God is what? In his love for me. You can always count on it. When everything else is changing, you can count on this. God will never stop loving you. Listen to me. God will never stop loving me. He will never stop loving you. It doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter where I am. It doesn't matter what happens to me. It doesn't matter what happens through me or in me. God will never stop loving me. Why? Because he's a compassionate father. But more than that, he's consistently compassionate. He does not waver. Do you see that? That is who God is. Listen, the problem with how some of you relate to God is you relate to God on the basis of your character, not on the basis of his character. You think because you've done something wrong, that affects him. Now listen, God relates to you on the basis of his character, not yours. When you accepted Jesus Christ into your life, he knew everything you were going to (laughs) do. He knew every sin you were going to commit. This morning... You got up and you yelled at your wife. God knew you were going to do that. And God's saying, "Ah, you're foolish. You're being foolish. But God's not surprised. You're addicted to something today. God knows you're addicted to it. God knew you were going to become addicted to it. Guess what? He loves you anyway. He wants to see you through it. Get over yourself and get through it. God doesn't judge you on the basis of your character. He judges you on the basis of his own character Really the character of his son who died for you on the cross. Lie number three, write this down. Lie number three, God is unconcerned about me. And this is a big one. This is a big one. Because there's a lot of unhappiness that comes if you buy into this. This one says, God is not concerned about me because I'm insignificant. You say, I don't want to bother God with my problems. God has such bigger problems to deal with. God's got world situations. He's got war. He's got famine. He's got earthquakes. He's got crisis around the world. My problems are so petty, so insignificant. God couldn't possibly be interested in me. And then here's what happens. Listen, the devil comes along and whispers in your ear, who do you think you are? You're coming to God, praying, why would God care about you? And he whispers that into your soul, and you believe it. That is one of the most destructive myths out there, and Satan loves to perpetuate it on you. He does it all the time. I'm telling you, if you buy into that, it will make you miserable. By the way, can I give you an amazing book to read? I didn't plan to do this. But if you want an amazing book to read over the next month, let me give you one. Are you ready for it? I'll give you two. Ready? Ready? Two, plus the Genzu knives you're going to (laughs) get. Even if you're online. All right, here you go. Write these book titles down. One book, one is called Abba's Child. It's by a guy named by the name of Brennan Manning. Former Catholic Jesuit priest, amazing man of God, amazing book. Abba's Child. Second book I'd love for you to read is a book that the same author also wrote. Last name is Manning, just like Kevin Manning, but not Kevin. Manning. Second book is called The Ragamuffin Gospel. The Ragamuffin Gospel. You want to read a couple of amazing books that'll reinforce these ideas. Because if you buy into these things, it's going to make you miserable. Now, if you want the truth, the truth is write this down God is a caring father, He's caring and He's close. In fact, what was read to you by Janelle a little earlier, it says that not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. Listen, if God cares about dinky little birds, if not one of these little birds can fall out of its nest without God taking a note of it, don't you think he's intimately aware of what's going on in your life? Don't you think that you can count on the fact that he's interested in your life? Listen to me. God doesn't go on overload. Nothing is too small for God to care about. Do you know he cares about even the sparrows? Look what it says. God even knows how many hairs are on your head. So don't be afraid. Let's read that again. So don't be Let's read that again. So don't be afraid. Let's read it again. So don't Be afraid, you are worth much more than many sparrows. Do you realize how much you're worth to God? Psychologists tell us that the number one root of your unhappiness is called identity confusion. Did you know that? Identity, when you really don't know who you are and when you don't know who you are it causes a lot of problems In fact, I'll just tell you this as a pastor I've talked to hundreds and hundreds of people and I have figured out most people know very little about who they are And what they do know they don't like very much It's an issue of identity Listen, who am I? Do I matter? Does my life count for anything? Does my life have value? Am I worth anything? Who am I? And so we're on this quest to try and prove something of those questions. And psychologist tells us that our identity gets shaped very much by what our parents thought of us, particularly your father. So if you had a father who said, ah, you're never going to amount to much, you tend to build your life on that. If you had a mom that always acted as though you couldn't do what you wanted to do, you tend to build, and now you're in a performance trap. You've got you've to live in this false identity to please yourself to everybody. If you had a dad who said you're so incompetent, you're so clumsy, well, you'll tend to act that way the rest of your life. Why? Because we set ourselves up by what we think our dads think of us. That's what psychologists say. But God says, listen, God looks at you and says... Your dads were imperfect. (laughs) They make mistakes. What really counts is what your heavenly father says about you. Do you know we are in such identity confusion today that people are defining identity confusion by their biologic feelings? That's, That's the kind of confusion we're in. People today are defining their identity by their hormones. That is weird. That is a strange phenomenon, but it's because of this confusion. How should you identify yourself? By what God says about you. And you don't need everybody's approval in life to be happy. What you do need is the truth. Here's the truth God says you're worth much, and I care about you. Today, we have a lot of kids growing up with absentee fathers. They're never around, they're always on the road, they're always gone. And when they're here, they're distant. Dads, if you're out there, we've been talking about volunteering with our kids. Boy, we need adults to do that. But I'm going to say, start with your kids. Dads, moms, if you're uninvolved in your kids' lives, it's like some kids have dads and they're so remote. And it's like, why are dads so remote? I'll tell you why it's because they have the remote, it's what they're tuned into. And the problem is many of you can't take that image of your dad off of God and you think that your heavenly father's remote. He's not really involved. You think he's on some planet far away looking down on you, stroking his chin. I want to tell you that's just not true. It's a lie. God's not just watching you from a distance. He's up close and personal. He's with you wherever he goes. Now you may not want him to go with you wherever you go. But I'm telling you, listen to me, God is with you wherever you go. In fact, let's just take a look at this scripture. It says, Jesus said, if my people love me, they will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and we will make our home with them. Notice God says, I want to live with them. In fact, he doesn't just say with you. He actually wants to live inside of you. He says, I will put my spirit in you. You don't get any closer than that. Now, if God is with you all the time, what does that mean? It means you don't need to worry. God is with you. So look at this verse that says, don't worry and say what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear. The people who don't know God keep trying to get that stuff Your father in heaven already knows what you need. Seek first God's kingdom and what God wants, then all your needs will be met as well. He says you don't need to worry. Quickly, let me give you the fourth lie about God. You ready? Here we go, fourth lie, we'll be done. Write this down, number four. That God is unpleasable. God is unpleasable. Now some of you have had unpleasable parents. And again, you've put that idea over onto your heavenly father. Your parents never thought you were quite good enough. You got C's on your report card, and what did they want? That's right. They wanted A's and B's. Even if you got B's, what did they want? A's. A's. You're never good enough. If you straightened up your room, mom came in, and what'd she do? She straightened it up a little bit more. If you hung up your clothes, what did mom come and do? Straighten them out a little bit so they look a little bit better. Now, some of you think that that's the way that God is. And there is this sense that God is disappointed in you. Parents, I'm not saying it's wrong to clean your kid's room once in a while. (laughs) But you've grown up with this sense that you're always letting God down. And it's any wonder why you don't want to talk to him. Of course you don't want to talk to him. Do you feel like hanging out with people that are constantly disappointed in you? No, you don't want to hang out with people that are disappointed. No wonder you're not coming to early morning prayer. Man, I I don't feel right before God. Listen, let let me tell you something very clearly. You're not letting God down because you never were holding God up. Let me say that again. You're not letting God down because you never were holding God up. God is consistent and compassionate and you are secure. What is the truth? Is he unpleasable? No, write this down. Here's the last truth. God is a gracious father. He is a gracious father. Now what does gracious mean? This is the most important thing that we'll get to. This is the basis of it all, you ready? Gracious. Here's what gracious means. You can write this down separately. It means God acts in grace. God acts in grace. It means that he gives you what you need, not what you deserve. What do you need to be accepted by God? What's the answer? Nothing. Nothing. People say this all the time. They say, the Bible says that God helps them who? Isn't it interesting that you have that memorized? People say that. The Bible says, God, let's say it again, God helps those who helps themselves. That is not in the Bible. There's no such verse. Read your Bible. (laughs) You know who said that? Benjamin Franklin said that. He was not inspired by God to say that. What makes you acceptable before God? Nothing in and of yourself. God, by the way, doesn't help those who helps themselves. Who does God help? The helpless. God helps the helpless. God helps the spiritually poor. He helps those who recognize their need. Now look at what it says in 1 Corinthians. He, God, has accepted you because of what the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God have done for you. What do you have to do to be accepted by God? Look at this. This is a great next scripture. Long ago, even before God made the world, God chose us to be his very own through, let's read it together, through what Christ would do for us. He decided then to make us holy in his eyes without a single thought. We who stand before him covered with his love. Let me just say something to you that will shock you. Listen. Listen. God is never, ever disappointed in you when you are in Christ. Why? Because he sees you through the lens of the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, who can get into the kingdom of heaven? He said, therefore be perfect as my father in heaven is perfect. We all say, oh no, I'm not perfect. In Christ you are. That's how he sees you. Do you know what sanctification is about? Sanctification is about becoming who God already says you are. You are a son of the king. Now go act like it. You are a daughter of the Lord of lords. Now go live it. And allow the Holy Spirit who empowers you to begin to shape you and conform you to the image of his son. Some of you say, how could that be? I disappoint myself. How can I be pleasable to God? Listen, Romans 3.22. Now God says he will accept and acquit us, declare us, what? Everybody say it. Not guilty. Come on. If, everybody say if. if. If we trust Jesus Christ to take away our sins no matter who we are or what we've been like. And you say, Shane, but you don't know what I've done well, you don't know what I've done. He does. And I can't believe it sometimes. I should not be a pastor. I'll just tell you that. But if you will just trust him, I should not be a pastor as far as I feel in and of myself for sure. But what is faith? But it's trust. And if you'll just trust him, he sent his son to die for you. He wants to have a father-child relationship with you. This is so important. Listen, if you don't understand this, then the foundation for your life, everything else is wrong. Maybe you grew up with a dad who was unreasonable. Maybe that's true. Maybe you had a father who was unconcerned, unreliable, unpleasable. You had a father who hurt you. I want to say to you today, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you're hurt. But you have a heavenly Father who will never hurt you. He will never, ever, 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 ever hurt you. He wants to be your Father. Everything He does towards you, He does because He loves you. Even when He says no. Do you understand when he says no to you, he's motivated by his compassion and he's a consistent father. He's not gonna lie to you. He's not going to abuse you. Now, question for you. You ready? Is everybody, let me put it this way, is God everybody's father? No. Is everybody a child of God? Well, the answer is yes and no kind of depends on how you're framing the question, but let me be clear with you here. Is everybody a child of God? Everybody is created by God, yes or no? Yes. yes. And so in that sense, you could say everybody's a child of God, but truly, it takes more for me to be a father than I just sire a child. How many of you know that's true? To be a real father to a child, there's got to be a relationship. And not everybody who's created goes into the kingdom of heaven because it's only those who have a relationship that choose to trust him that really become children of God, born in the family. And you can say, in a sense, everybody's created by God, but in a sense, not everybody is a child of God. It takes my trust in the Father. God, here's what you gotta say. God, I wanna be a part of your family. That's a choice. Listen, we talked about this last week. Jesus said, got to get this, no one will ever come to the Father except through me. Now, God says, let's read it again, he will accept us and acquit us. He will declare us not guilty. It says, if we what? Trust Jesus Christ to take away our sins. That's what we got to do. That's where we start. And then as his spirit comes to live within you, he will begin to transform you into the person he says you already are. Isn't that awesome? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you that you lead us into all truth. Lord, we just give ourselves to you in this moment and we say that we want to trust you with our lives Thank you for dying on the cross for our sin. Thank you for your tender mercies that the word says are new every morning. (laughs) Thank you that you give us a fresh start every day. Lord, we declare our faith in you now. We trust you that you have taken away our sins. We trust that we are perfectly right before you. Lord, now let us be the people you say we are. You've made us to be. Help us to trust our justification while working out our sanctification relying on you every step of the way just pray this with me jesus come into my life make me as you say i am forgive me of my sin thank you for your death on the cross lord i love you come on just say it with hoot lord i love you i want to know you walk with me you're my abba my daddy I run into your arms. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen.